0: I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection.
1: In honor of her mother and her father, am I missing anybody? Please don't let me forget somebody. Get everybody down here, and Sister Connie's going to take a picture for us. Fifty years, and this is how many founding members we still have. Is that not amazing? Where's Patsy? Can you go get her? Is someone going to get her? Brother Gentry and Sister Lois, come on down. Came right after that. okay. Wow. Do some of us need to like stand on the altar behind or can you get everybody, Connie? Okay. All right, now wait a minute. before you leave, if you please stay up here if you were still here, if you were part of our sanctuary when we built this sanctuary, if you were going here at this time, stay up here. Um, plans for the new building came to fruition on September first of sixty seven As many members of the congregation gathered in for the groundbreaking of what would become their new place of worship. The new sanctuary, which is back where the fountain is, held 200 people. After completion of the building program, which is done by members of the congregation, dedication services were held on October 11th of 1968 with Brother Nathaniel Urshan being the guest speaker and Brother Nicholas J. Bibbs of Fortville as the master of ceremonies. Growth did not cease for McCormick's Creek UPC over the next few years. Many members of the Owen County community visited the church, some which attended on a regular basis. The church developed ministers who went out to pastor other churches Brother Don Bolt, Brother Ron Reinhart, Larry Sims, Fred Edwards, David Bolt, and Jerry Jackson. And Brother Simmons, yes. Tragedy struck the church. Forgive me if I get emotional. On the night of March 25th, 86, the pastor's birthday during a Tuesday night youth service, Brother Balt left the platform in pain, drove to his home, home, and passed away a few minutes later. Though this was devastating to the church, the death did not stop their determination to see the kingdom of God grow. Rev. Rick Robertson, whose birthday is also March 25th, the youth director was voted in almost unanimously as the new pastor. Church attendance at this time fluctuated between 50 to 75 people. This trend for growth continued in October of 87. Twenty years after the last building program, the church made plans and completed in March of 88 a Christian School. The addition was dedicated in the memory of an 11-year-old boy named John Wayne Anderson who desired to attend the school upon completion but lost his life in a fire. By 1992, the church membership had increased to an average of 200. Plans were made to build again. This time, it was a 400-seat sanctuary. Groundbreaking was held in September on September 24th. Ira Anderson, who helped purchase the property in 1963, was among those members who attended this ceremony. Brother Anderson served as trustee for the church until his death on June 29th of 93, at the age of 87. The tradition of the congregation working together to build the new addition remained as members volunteered their services and the work began. Sunday school rooms, which had been in the basement, in the previous sanctuary were moved upstairs the basement was remodeled as a fellowship hall a new prayer room was added to the old to the remodeling of the old sanctuary and the new structure was dedicated in the memory of reverend john and alice Balt. dedication services were held for the new building on april 18th of 1993 brother utterback a longtime friend of the late pastor Balt, officiated the services And revival services were also held during the week. Brother Sisko was the speaker for these services. Okay, now I need to know how many people remember us moving into the new sanctuary. How many was part of our church then? I would like to have you come down. And I don't know if we can get us all in a picture. Maybe some of them standing along the aisle. Pastor Robertson, I'd like to have you. Everyone that was a part of this church in 1993... If you were part of this church in 1993, some of you men, if you can stand on the altar rail behind, wow, look at this, I didn't know it would be so many. Anybody else from 1993? Connie, if you need to be in this picture, can you let Brother Greg take it? (laughs) Even our children that was born before 1993. Anybody else that I'm missing? You're not getting out of this, so you just get right down here. This is a special day, and we've got time. I can say thank you. There's a scripture uh, that's hanging on the wall in my office. It's my husband's actual... Actually, I bought it for him for his birthday, but it talks about a great cloud of witnesses. And I don't know, maybe my husband can quote the scripture. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I don't know, but there's some mighty fine stories of people that made it through some awful rough times. And they're still here to tell about it. All right, we're ready. All right. Thank you so much and thank you for Thank you for allowing us to take the time to do that. I am so sorry that my pastor's wife couldn't be here cuz she is very 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 much a part of this. I wanted to start naming names, but I knew that I would forget somebody. So thank you all for helping me um, get through that. In the fall of last year, I just finished my college. I did that in, in July and graduated in August. And in the fall, I was sitting in my normal seat over there, we hadn't even talked about a Jubilee service. And, um, well, maybe we had. I don't even remember when we had Department Head Retreat last year. Was that in September? I knew we were having it. I had no idea I was going to be one of the speakers. Anyway, I was sitting over there in my normal seat, and God gave me the title to a message and the story that I was supposed to use. And when he first gave me this title, I thought, oh, God, no, because the title of my message is The Law of Diminishing Returns. That has to do with economics, which was like my next to worst class in college. I hated that class. Candy pulled me through it. And then we had a statistics class, and 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 I would have to say it was my last class, and it was Probably one of the lower level classes I took, and I struggled because it talks about algebra and stuff that I hadn't done for more years than I want to count. So I thought, God, no, surely not. And I even had a thought of the way I was going until I started studying the law of diminishing returns, and God totally changed my direction uh, into what I'm speaking today. So I've been. I've had this, I I know when God speaks a message to me like that, that I'm getting ready to speak and that kind of makes me nervous too. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about some laws concerning the law, some of the principles of the law of diminishing returns. The law of diminishing returns, is a fundamental principle of economics, it plays a central role in production theory. The Law of Diminishing Returns, also the Law of Diminishing Marginal Returns, or the Law of Increased Relative Cost states that all productive processes adding more of a one factor of production while holding all others consistent, the Latin word for it is caterus paribus," and it will at some point yield a lower per-rate return The law of diminishing returns does not imply that adding more of a factor will decrease the total production, a condition known as negative returns, though, in fact, this is common. Now, let's put this in common terms because I never would have understood this. Can anyone explain the law of diminishing returns? Anyone? Anyone want to give it a shot? All right. I'm going to give you a couple examples that will bring this home. The use of fertilizer on crops in production is used on farms and in gardens. But at some point, adding more and more fertilizer improves improves the yield less. So when a farmer wants to add fertilizer to to his field to help crops, there's only a certain amount he wants to add. Too much hinders the crop. Does that put it? Does that put the law of diminishing returns into effect? Another example, which is one that I'm more likely associated with in my job, is an assembly line. When you set up an assembly line on a production floor, you have a certain number of people that do a certain job and say, Sister Manley, if you're doing a job, they'll time you to see how long it takes you, and then they'll have the next person move forward. So if you're the first person on the line, and Brother Eldar is the second person on the line, he's not waiting on you. They know exactly what it takes to do your job, then his job, and then the next person's job so that we have a smooth flow. And no one's waiting, and the job gets done with the best methods and the best time. Say they, wanna, they want their output to be more, they keep adding people. There comes a point when adding those people... Hinders, Because then you've got people getting in the way of each other and there's too many people on the line and you have to stop and say, no, this is how we're going to do it. We have to pull back people to get the job done right. That is the law of diminishing returns. So if you would put my first scripture up, Luke 13, 15, 11 through 13. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now, I can assure you that most of you have heard a sermon about this story about 20 times. So I am not under the impression that you don't know what I'm talking about because I know that you do. But I want to bring something across, some things across about the prodigal son that sometimes we forget about. And you say, what does this have to do with diminishing returns? I'll get there. Just give me a second. You see, the prodigal son had everything he wanted. He was living in his father's house. He ate his father's food. He worked in his dad's field. Eventually, he probably would have owned part of the farm, although he was the youngest, so his elder brother would have inherited the majority of the property. You might not think the prodigal son worked. I do. It was the mundane things of working on a farm that made him want to leave. And the reason that I think he worked is because, number one, we know his brother worked in the field. We also knew when it came time for him to farm the pigs, he knew how to do it. So I do believe that he worked. The mundane work of the farm was what he was trying to get away from. He left the profitability of being at home to discover the world outside of his boundaries. It didn't cost him anything to walk away. He took his inheritance with him. He had it made. He had everything he could want. Let's talk about his dad. The Bible doesn't say that the father begged and pleaded with him, but I can assure you if it was my son, I would have begged and pleaded. What are you doing? There's there's so much more to do here. We could use your help, and you will grow here. There's no need for you to leave, and especially to take your inheritance, you're going to need it. I know that's the way I would have been with my son. And he chose to leave anything anyway. So let's talk about the father. One thing that we did not see the father do was chase him down the road. There was a point that dad had to say, Okay, I have to let you make your choice. And you know, I've, as, I've, as my kids have grown, I used to be able to speak to little kids. And now I can and speak to parents of kids that have the choice of am I going to serve God or not. I can't. My kids are past the age of me making them serve God. They 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 do it because they love God, and they do it because they want to serve God. Too much overprotection from the father would have driven that man further and further away. His development process had to come from the school of hard knocks. He had to go out and experience life on his own before he came to the realization that I made a terrible. Terrible mistake. His returns only came when he decided he'd had enough. All was well and good when when he left. He had a party. I mean, he had friends. As long as he had money, he had friends. The Bible says he wasted his money in riotous living. Forget diminishing returns. He had no returns because he found himself with nothing. No inheritance. No parents, nothing. Reality struck in Luke 15, 14 through 16. And when he had spent all there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into the field to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him life got tough suddenly living at home wasn't such a bad idea because no one cared the pig stunk his clothes were rags his father's servants was better off than him he came to his senses through adversity and he never would have done this had the dad made him stay on the farm that's what it took for him to come to the realization is, is that I can do better than this. Dad wasn't there to coach him. Dad didn't know the situation that he was in. Even the pig farmer didn't care. He had to eat the pig's food. Absolutely no one cared for him. I've heard many people that were backsliders comment when they return that they can't believe how far they went from what they originally were. See, it starts out real small. Like, I can do this. And suddenly they're in places that, Oh, my God, how did I get here? God, help me. What did I do wrong to get here? But that's where the prodigal son was. Sin has a way of doing that. Luke 15:17 through 19 says, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. You know, the prodigal son did not make it back in one day. He had a long road home, and he had to think about it the whole way. I'm sure that as he passed through various towns, people saw him on the street and was like, is this the same guy we parted with? And I'm sure they ridiculed him for what he had become because when they knew him, he had money. Now he has no money and his clothes are in rags and he stinks like the pig pen. And I know his thought was, if I can just get back home. If I can just get back home. He had no promise that his dad would accept him. He couldn't call Dad and say, I'm coming home. There he was a long distance, and he was starving, and he had no clothes. that were His clothes were rags, and he was an absolute mess. But if I can just get back to the father's house, everything's going to be all right. Let's talk about Dad. See, Dad didn't know he was coming either. There was no text message saying, Dad, I'm coming home. There was no phone call that said, Dad, would you accept me back? But there's something to say for the father. Luke fifteen twenty says, And he arose and when he came to his father, and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. It says, Father, so I'm afar off and come running. This speaks to me of yearning, anticipation, waiting and watching. You know, I picture the Father waiting and watching, just waiting and watching. And I picture the Father working working in the field. The time that he saw him walking down the road, I can assure you it's not the first time he looked. Brother Krause, I believe you spoke about this before. I picture the father stopping at the end of the row and just looking because maybe my son's coming home today. And maybe it's not today, but maybe it will be tomorrow. And maybe if it's not tomorrow, it might be in the next few years. But my son's coming home because I'm praying And the law of diminishing returns tells me there's nothing I can do but pray. I have to back off and let the Father do what the Father does best. You see, there's a time of sowing and planting, which is what my pastor and my father before him did, sowing and planting, and continuous sowing and planting. But God gives the increase. And we can pray and pray and pray, and nothing's going to happen until God calls their name. And God is calling their name. If they have been in the doors of these church, God has called their name. And when my God and when we hold them up before him in prayer. He hears that prayer. And you can't tell me that on the bar stool, that wherever they are, they do not hear God calling them back. I firmly believe they're calling him back. Key with the Father is he had an expectancy that it would happen. Don't know when. But the But in the last days, God's going to call His people back. So I know that He's calling back the people that have served Him. And suddenly the day came that the father seen Him walking down the road. And the Scripture says, let me get back to it. 20 says, Father saw Him afar off and came running to hug Him. Let's talk about what the father did not do. And I'd like to use my children for examples if I could. I see my children walking down the road coming back to the father's house. (laughs) I didn't tell them I was doing this, obviously. You see, we're walking down the road home. And if I grilled my children, where have you been? What have you done? What are those gauges in your ears? And what is that pink hair? And why is there a baby? Do you know what my children would do? Thank God my children are in church. But do you know what my children would do if I grilled them like that? They would turn around and run. They would not make their way back to the fathers. They would say, I'm not accepted here, and they would turn around and run away. Thank you. We have to let the past be the past and move on. There might be a baby. I'm not saying there's not results from their sin. But I'm saying they are reaping, yes. But I'm saying we got to get them back to the table. we got to let the law of diminishing returns keep us from judging them and get them back to where they need to be. You know, my husband spoke about Samson a couple of weeks ago. No one had to tell Samson what he did wrong. You know he started out simple uh with delilah he he let her tie his hair with, with tie him up with green widths and then with rope. Suddenly, it got closer to the source, and he tied she that he was tied the seven locks of his hair, and then finally, the source of his glory and the source of his strength was cut off. That was all through a process of time. Samson knew what he did to lose his strength. And he also knew what to do to get it back. And in his ending, he got it back. Even though it cost him his life, he got it back. Anyone that once had power with God knows where they need to go to get it back. Luke 15, 21 through 24 says the son said to him father i've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son but the father said to his servants bring forth the best robe and put it on him put a rig on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither a fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to be merry let's have a party Let's rejoice because my son was lost and now he's found. Why make merry? Why have a dinner party? We've always thought it was to celebrate his return, but I want to submit another reason. You see, the meal is a place for sustenance and communication. We gain strength from the food and from the conversation. In the the early to mid-20th century, eating at the table was a common ritual and it built family ties. American families declined in closeness when they stopped eating together and started eating in front of the television. Gallup poll statistics show that slightly more than a quarter of adults with children under 18 report that their families eat dinner together at home seven nights a week. Almost half 47% 47% of parents say their family eat together between four to six times a week, and another quarter say they eat together three or few nights a week. I don't have to tell you what that's done to the family unit because the family unit is not what it was because we don't take time to converse and to sit down and have a meal together. And you think that might be simple, but that is the time of day when everyone gets together to talk and to spend time together. When we eat together, we communicate and grow stronger as a family unit. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so give me just a minute. A lot of times we want to stop the story right there, but I want to take it a little bit further because I want to talk about the brother. Luke 15:25 to 32 now his elder son was in the field and as he came and drew nigh to the house he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto them, Thy brothers come and thy father has killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and he would not go in. Therefore his father came out and treated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandments. And yet thou never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Oh, does this sound familiar? But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. You know, there's a special place, I believe, for for the brother that never left. I, 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 I am honored that God kept me and I never left. And I don't say that to brag. I say that because God kept me. But there's also a place for the person that is trying to make their way back. You see, it's so much easier to find someone else's fault and and forget that you could possibly have some of your own. The brother was jealous because his younger brother was being honored. Could it be possible that he knew about the party and chose not to come? I think it could be because I know if it was my child, That was returning, I would go to their sibling and say, Hey, we're celebrating. Come join us. I want to make merry and I want to be happy because the sons returned. Do you realize that all this time that the brother could have been sitting at the table receiving nourishment, he wouldn't come in? How many times? Do we come and sit in the doors of this church, right in the house? And we don't take the time to come to the table where we're going to be nourished. We, you know, we might sit there and we might raise our hands and our, mi- and our mind be a thousand miles away. When right down here is where you're going to be fed... We have problems. We, we deal with the daily problems of life. But we need to come in the house. And more than coming in the house, we need to come to the table. You see, the table is where you receive your nourishment. And your nourishment comes not only from the food, but from the fellowship with your siblings. And we are all brothers and sisters. We are siblings. And this is our table. And not only is there a place for all of us at the table, there's still an open seat for everyone that's walked out these doors. So that when they walk back in, their seats waiting for them. It never changed. When we see someone on the street that used to go here, they're still our brother and our sister. They might have walked away, but they're still part of us. And now more than ever, we need to hold them up in prayer. I know by the signs of the times that it won't be long. I know by the signs of the times that my Jesus is coming back. And I know that it won't be long. And my heart has long been for the backsliders. Brother Davis, I never quit praying for your girls. Never. I never quit praying for Kristas and the Christas and the Amy's Christas Sims. The Amy's I could go through lists of people. Ashton, I never quit praying for your mom and dad. Because these are people that need to be part of us again. And I don't ever want to forget them. Because they need to be back at the table with us. And we all need to be here together. Spiritual food is here. God's power is falling. We all can sense changes that are coming to us. I believe God's getting ready to pour out on this church. One thing I was going to say that that I didn't say earlier was I'm so honored that for 50 years we've held to the same beliefs. What was sin 50 years ago is still sin. When many churches have decided it's not necessary to baptize in Jesus' name, and it's not necessary to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and it's not necessary to live with a standard, may I be the one to stand here and say, Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes it is. Heard so many people say they drove by their, this church, and something was drawing them to come in. It's gonna continue. I have no doubt in my mind that God is pulling people back, and He's pulling people in. Sister Jessica, go ahead and put my PowerPoint up there, if you would. This is the Liberty Bell. And uh, as I was studying, I found a very interesting story about the Liberty Bell. See it was cast in 1752 and it's located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It was originally ordered to commemorate the 50-year anniversary of Pennsylvania's original Constitution. On July 4, 1776, the Second Continental Congress held a vote to proclaim American independence Four days later, on July 8, 1776, this bell was called the time that changed the world when it rung from the tower of Liberty Hall, summonsing the citizens of Philadelphia to hear the first public reading of this declaration. Now, you wonder why the Liberty Bell? Why would I talk about the Liberty Bell? Its first inscribed line quotes parts of the verse found in the King James Version Leviticus in the bell is inscribed proclaim liberty throughout the land unto all the inhabitants thereof which is the scripture that pastor read earlier by order the assembly of the province of Pennsylvania for the state house in Philadelphia you see it's our symbol of freedom of American freedom It gained iconic importance when abolitionists in their effort to put an end to slavery throughout America adopted it as its symbol. It speaks of the rights and the freedoms valued by people the world over. You see, what the pastor said is true. Our Jubilee year, it's our time to bring every man back to his possession and to his family. And you know, maybe I'm speaking this to the wind But I'm calling back backsliders. I'm calling back, and I hope someone can agree with me, the people that were once here. that needs to come and dine Or the sister that just needs the refreshing of the spirit Maybe you've not been here a while These altars are open If you're the person that once held a relationship with God But maybe you've let go of it a little bit Now's the time to step up to the table Now is the time to renew your covenant With Jesus Christ now is the, t- is the time to come with your brothers and your sisters and to be fed because it all centers around the table, not just the house, but the table right. 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 where we're fed, where we come in and we meet with each other and we meet with God. This is our 50-year celebration. We've said it all morning. And I want to take the time to say thank you, Jesus, for 50 years And I want to say thank you to God because I know what's coming. See, there's a promise coming down the road today, tomorrow. Down the road, those people you've prayed for, I'm not giving up on them. I'm not giving up on them in Jesus' name.
0: You would stand? That was a good job. Wasn't that a great job? Wasn't that great? Right. Really was. So, so appropriate, so in tune. I, I, uh, I needed that. You have a tendency after so long that you begin to... Uh, Think what's you know these people are never going to come back you know what's the use you you see them come and go and and every so often God has to shake you up just a little bit and let you remind you of how you used to be uh, I, you know not not everybody that that's in church is in church uh, you know and sometimes you especially a young person they're there but they're not there and you know that's the most important thing is that we Get not just their body, but their heart, their soul, everything. That's what, that's what matters. And, and this is appropriate, and I believe that. We have got, and it's been prophesied many times over us, and how God is going to bless us, and, and I believe that. But I, I'm going to be honest with you. The most important thing to me is to see the group that we've got right here in church five, six years from now. Uh, they're all important but right now that's I want to see them. I don't want to we lose so many. We lose so many 18, 19, 20 years old. I don't want to see that happen. Because you know this next bunch of preachers, better preachers than than I am, I hope it's going to be coming up out of this bunch. And if the Lord tarries long enough, the next bunch and if he doesn't, wouldn't it be great to know that we've had a group of young people if he comes in the next four or five years, we've got a group of young people that loves him so much that they're going they're going to beat me up in the rapture It'll be awful hard because i'm if it's going I've already talked to God about the rapture. I want it to happen while i'm preaching. You know I want it to happen while I'm preaching that way I've got a better start than the rest of you when I get out of here. <laughs> oh god's good to us god's good to us let's raise our hands and let's just let's call back some backsliders right now lord jesus We thank You for Your blessings. God, let all that has been said here this morning, God, as we call back those backsliders, Jesus, let the clarion call go forth now. Touch their hearts. Convict them, Jesus. Let them feel Your presence even now. I feel Your anointing. I feel Your power. I feel, God, Your heart. And I know, Lord, it's always Your heart to bring back that which is lost, to seek and to save that which is lost. And I pray now,
1: in Jesus'
0: name. In Jesus' name.